You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the legends of Runeterra. My name is The Lift, or Mark, from outside of Pittsburgh, PA, and with me tonight is our legendary and ever-faithful co-host, Dead Broke Nerd. Dead Broke Nerd, how are you doing tonight, man? Doing good, man. Already talked to you once today because we just recorded the first episode of The Mulligan. The Mulligan. That is our goofy side show that has very little to do with Legends of Runeterra uh, that we uh, put up as a reward for our Patreon supporters of all shapes, sizes, and monetary <laughs> amounts. And the, so the funny thing is, is like we're like this is going to be a twenty-minute show twice a week, and I'm like, uh, I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm like, yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the two of us like to talk way too much. Like the first episode of the Mulligan, thirty minutes, more like thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah we will well, be we, we lucky did a little... if we keep it under thirty. Like lucky. It, it took <laughs> us like we we did some of the first five minutes, kind of jawing about what people should expect and like what kind of ideas we had and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, well, it'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> we had like five questions from the Discord that we could have gotten to that we, we we'll, did we'll, it. But. We'll we'll uh, we'll get better at it. Uh, first time's a charm. And hey, 10 more minutes of content for you Patreon yeah. supporters. So <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. even sweat it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it was fun to record and it's really good to just kind of, you know, shoot the breeze a little bit and talk about yeah. something that isn't uh, LOR related necessarily. Um, we, we did some that was LOR related this time, but some stuff that wasn't always directly sort of like central to the news because um, yeah. unlike other card uh, podcasts or uh, podcasts that cover card games, um, we actually do have things from Legends of Runeterra to basically cover every single week. Um, and yeah. so, which is, which is very different than, than other card games that go months without content. Um, cause we're in card reveal season again already. Oh boy. Yeah. We're in card reveal season. And for us, card reveal season is like one episode. And then by the time we get around the next episode, it's released. Um, so we never get to talk about many of the cards prediction wise, uh, in these sort of like little bumps uh of, of yeah. cards but uh dbn i saw you playing some fearsome this week is that is that been is that been your jam is that what you've been playing this week uh on well, ladder so so i played uh i actually did a little bit of i did a little bit of a lot so i did play i've been playing fearsome from like predominantly laddering anytime i have time to like jam a game and i like you know want to do a little laddering or something like that i'll play fearsome but I've also been toying around with a few other things. I finally decided to try Fiora Shen, see what the fuss is about. It's interesting. Uh, not my cup of tea, like, gameplay-wise, but it's definitely strong. Uh, I tried a couple other, like, smaller things. I did some deck experimentation with Gibbles and Bits, uh, just trying out some other interesting things. But uh, really, the deck I've been having the most fun with uh, is a uh, semi-meta B-tier list uh that i got from mobilitics and then made some changes to uh which is dargans i've been playing shivana and aurelian soul oh, nice. yeah and i played that today a, a lot of fun with it i'm having a lot a lot of fun with this deck turns out aurelian soul on eight is pretty good 
Oh yeah. Um, good. You know, what's funny is I keep forgetting he, I know this sounds crazy. It's like, Oh, you have a podcast. You keep forgetting this. You dummy. But I keep forgetting he has spell shield. I know that's, it's in, that's in, uh, that's important. Very relevant. Important. And so like, yeah. I'll drop him. Sometimes I'll drop him. I found myself in the first couple games being like, Oh, I can't drop a soul. They've got mana. They could kill him. And then I'm like, wait, <laughs> I just need to drop him. Uh, but since then, I found myself dropping them, and then I'll, they'll be like, oh, crap. If they have this, I lose. If they have this, I lose. And then I'm like, wait, no, I don't. <laughs> they can't touch him. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they need more nice. than one thing. Uh, I mean, yeah. there are there are pretty... There's still some fairly efficient ways out there to remove Aesol right now, you know, because you, you are seeing Vengeance. Um, you are seeing a lot of pings as well. So, like, mm-hmm. virtually mm-hmm. any, like, the, the TF, uh, like, the TF Go Hard decks, which are just, like, oh, yeah. total degenerate right now. <laughs> like, I had, uh, oh. I just came from another Discord where a, a, a friend of mine um, does not, he doesn't play LOR often, but he's been playing again, and he, that's literally the term that he said. He said, yeah, I started playing LOR again, and I'm playing uh, TF Go Hard and I feel like a complete degenerate. <laughs> oh. It feels that way at times. Yeah. Uh, I will seed. I mean, there's definitely ways to counter it. Uh, fearsome yeah. oh, for yeah. one. You know, we t- actually t- spent a lot of time last episode talking about that, but it definitely is something of a... I, I really don't like go hard, pack your bags. I don't like what that has done to the game. I mean, quite frankly, feel the rush. I also don't really care for but at least it comes down later on. Um, it's so yeah. interesting that like the, only two of those five cards that came out are remotely viable i really wish the one that like made buff stick around forever was kind of good but like all the rest of them really don't impact the board in a in a way or like uh, some of them adversely impact your board um in comparison to what go hard and and feel a rush do yeah there's the one in ionia that i've seen uh occasionally get thrown into a uh mist rates list because if you can bounce the uh wraith caller yeah you, can you will play it for free get a bunch and... of like three free mist wraiths or something crazy i don't exactly remember how many or what the situation is but yeah it's pretty good uh because mist wraith counts whenever summoned uh as most like play but um i i do want to circle back just briefly to this dragon deck and say that part of why i've really enjoyed it has been it's a little bit slower of a pace of a list than i expected when i first keyed it up i thought i was just going to be jamming creatures and bash and face but you know you really i find myself oftentimes like passing attacks and stuff like that because i know that they'll get value trades and stuff like that and i can't let them but because of between um like uh in vilas vox and like dragon's clutch uh, as well as like aurelian soul being able to put uh celestial cards the longevity in the late game is pretty impressive. Yeah, it can go uh, a long this time. List. It, it can. It just keeps throwing beefy bodies on the board, which A, I enjoy, but B, has led to some absolutely incredibly fun and cool comebacks with this deck where I am... A, uh, there was one uh, today. I played a game on my lunch break, uh, and I came back from like two health and twice, twice, I pulled up the surrender button and clicked it. And it said, are you sure you want to surrender? And I thought to myself, I said, I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose this, but maybe not. And I hit no. And I ended up winning that game after twice pulling up the surrender button. And, and guys, like, hey, that's I'm a not good a, lesson. like, that's a good lesson to learn there. 
it's it is you know and it's funny because i think i've talked about this in the tesla days was the last time i brought it up but you know th- there was a question about like what's the most important lesson you've learned playing like card games something like that but i remember i played card games my whole life and i remember playing Yu-Gi-Oh. uh when i was in um fifth grade through like eighth grade uh i played Yu-Gi-Oh. um and i went to like a card shop and played in tournaments stuff like that and i was the always the best kid in my class always um, and we, and, and, in my grade, and part of it was because, um, I would play non beat stick strategies. Like I had a burn deck that was really good, you know, some more stall control decks and other people just weren't, didn't understand things that weren't blue eyes, white dragon. But even when I went and played in tournaments, I did pretty good partly because of that. And partly because my dad, I would play with at home, you know, cause he's a, he's a card gamer. So shout out to dead broke dad there, you know, but DBD. I yeah, dead broke dad. Uh, I, I remember going uh, into the shop one Saturday, and I'm hanging out with my friends. And my my buddy, his name was River. Um, no. Yeah, his name. Uh, so his name was Stephen River Banks. Okay, kid you not. <laughs> kid you worse. not. I thought it got better because he had a real no. name, and then it got worse because of his combo second name last name. Oh my, yeah. River oh, Banks. Man, no. Yeah, well, a cool guy, though. I actually ran into him at uh, an REI a couple months back. Hadn't talked to him forever. I'm sure he's a cool dude, but... Uh, He's a cool dude, yeah. His parents are terrible uh, people for naming him that. (laughs) They're so nice. I've met his parents a couple (laughs) times. They're very nice. But, yeah, no, that was hilarious. But as a river, uh, he got... You know, a lot of my friends, when we played Yu-Gi-Oh! and stuff, I would be taking it seriously, and that would turn them off, you know? Oh, sure. And River was like, got turned on to it. He was like, oh, shoot, I like this. I want to be better. I want to play better decks. I want to get good. And he actually got, ended up getting really good at the game, too. Um, and so we'd go to tournaments. Stuff. We'd play in the shop together. And I just remember the one time where we were sitting there, and I'm looking at my hand. I'm like, I'm probably going to lose this. And he look, and I'm like, I think I'm going to scoop. He's like, what? And he's sitting next to me, like, watching. And just kind of, it's a chill environment. So, like, we, well, we were talking about plays and stuff like that. He's like, what? Don't give up. I'm like, dude, I'm going to lose. Like, look, like he's like, no, no, you you probably he's like, you'll probably lose, but you don't know. And I'm like, bro, like he would have to make a mistake. And he's like, exactly. Your opponent can always make mistakes. You know, that's always true. Don't don't give up just because it looks bad. Never count out, you know, the ability of your opponent to miss something. Never and never discount in a digital card game your opponent's ability to disconnect. <laughs> oh, that too. <laughs> but yeah, no, that that's and that was like I just flashed back to that today as I was playing because I, I twice I had pulled up the surrender button, clicked it, and almost clicked okay before giving it another shot and playing that out the next turn. And eventually I hung on at like two health for like three or four turns and then swung the board back and won. And it was nice. awesome. Very and that nice. was with dragons, believe it or not. <laughs> with dragons. Very nice. Well, yeah. uh, I played this week. Uh, I played some Mono Demacia Shivana Garen uh, today. I played a lot of easy uh, uh, Ash. This is my favorite deck. Like, by <laughs> far my favorite deck yeah. right now. Easy Ash. Um, but the other one that I experimented with this week was I, I wanted to go back and give Tarek another try because he got buffed. Um, so I figured, you know, what's a good way to make Tarek the same level of bad as he was before? Put him 
with a champion that was good that got worse. So I played Tarek, which got buffed, and Trundle, which got debuffed, uh, which got nerfed. So I played Tarek Trundle um, and uh, and really enjoyed it, actually. It was a fun deck. It didn't win a lot of games because between Frailyord and Targon, there's very little ways to deal with what your opponent is doing outside of combat tricking. So like you can't deal with TF. TF automatically levels up. There's no way to yeah. deal with him. You can literally never get rid of him it, other than through Ice Pillar, maybe. That's like your only way to get rid of something is Ice Pillar with this deck. But I had a lot of fun with it. It just ran a ton of uh, sort of like defensive stuff. So Bastion, Zenith Blade, um, Fury of the North, uh, Elixir of Iron. You're running Omen Hawks and Pale Cascades and Troll Chants and then some Yeti stuff. But the main goal is like get Tarek, get him leveled up, get Trundle, get him leveled up, and then attack with unbeatable trundle that you've buffed with <laughs> um with like fury of the north through Tarek, right so like i and actually zenith blade on Tarek is really powerful if you put Tarek down cast zenith blade and then attack and get zenith blade on anything it is really hard to get rid of that stuff the games that i won were like i had three bank mana played Tarek on four my attack token played trundle on five zenith blade uh, Tarek and then attack and give a Zenith Blade to Trundle as well because it's a permanent plus one plus two in Overwhelm, and oh, yeah. it just makes that that it, it makes him a what a five seven with Overwhelm and regeneration <laughs> on turn five. He's just so menacing and so hard to get rid of. I lost pretty much every game other than that, but uh, you know what? I I just loved. Tarek with Guiding Touch and Pale Cascade because of the ability to double draw with both of those cards. And I played that a lot whenever Lee Sin was still six mana. And I wanted to go back to it. It wasn't great, but if you're wanting the list, you can always message me on Discord or whatever. I can send you the list. Perhaps you can refine it a little bit. It probably has a few too many spells, um, but it was a lot of fun. It, it was a really fun deck to play, and it is really hard to get rid of Trundle when you're running, you know, Bastion, Troll Chant, Pale Cascade, Brittle Steel, Elixir of Iron, Guiding Touch. Like, Trundle, you just can never get rid of him. He's just, he's endless. But when you don't get him, you really don't have any way to win the game um, as well. Mm. So it was it was fun. It was a it was a cool deck to play. And um, yeah, something I'd check out in the future. But we have a couple of quick announcements before we jump into our small segment. First, we want to give a big thank you to all of our patrons over at patreon.com. If you want to support the show, you can go over to patreon.com slash legends cast um and uh there's also a link in the in the show description that you can go to and you know uh we talked about the mulligan at the beginning of the show if you give us 25 cents an episode one dollar a month um you get access to the mulligan you also get thrown into a drawing every month to win right now a legends cast an etched legends cast pint glass which static sheep won back in november and uh, I haven't had a lot to go to the post office because quarantined for two weeks. Um, so I'm going to be getting it to him. Um, but uh, but you have a chance to win a Legends Cast pint glass uh, at the end of each month. We do a drawing from our Patreon subscribers. Um, and then you also have a Patreon chat. And like we're doing all of this just to really say thank you to the people who are supporting us, not to necessarily incentivize you to give. But if you'd like to give value, you can go over to patreon.com slash legendscast and feel free to financially get behind us. Um, it allows us, we don't get rich off the thing. It just allows us to do what we're doing, including the tournaments. Um, and so we have our Legends Cast League. We're closing it up right now. And Gibbles and Bits is the person who wins the bye week this week. Um, yeah, and he so is, he's uh... currently in first place. We have the two runner-ups playing for second and third place. And then the winner of that will play Gibbles and Bits in the final game, uh, the final tournament. So... 
Um, yep. We might try to capture that and cast it. Um, That'd be really fun. Yeah, I if we have time, we're going to try to capture that game and cast it. We're going to try to organize with them. Um, but uh, the prize pool, which was $50 to the winner, a trophy, which Gibbles himself bought, which he may end up giving him to himself, um, which, which would be again, so you funny. Know, it would be absolutely hilarious and also save me the immense hassle of mailing something. Which I have to I do every month, things. by the way. So Right, uh, you it's know, it's totally immense. unfair. Uh, but that's why he is the super responsible. Host. Yeah. You also get a legends cast hat. We only have two left and then we're going to do a drawing. I think the, the second place gets like 20, the third place gets 10. And then we yeah. have, um, we have a drawing that's going out for everyone who completed all of their rounds of matches, um, gets put in a drawing for another legends cast hat, which is the last one that we have. Um, but all of that's possible because of our Patreon supporters. Special thank you this week to bones. Um, I know like I have his real name in there, but everyone knows him by bones. Special thank you to bones. Who's been a longtime member of our discord. Um, was a member and a follower of, of DBN and Legends Cast back when it was about Tessel, was part of the Discord back in the day early on, um, continues to be a consistent part of our community and has now moved to playing Legends of Runeterra. So thank you, Bones, for your uh, Patreon support. Yeah. We really appreciate it. You're the man. You're the Absolutely, man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, DBN, you're in charge of a small segment, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and just dive in to the small segment this week. Showtime! Alrighty, so this small segment this week, in the spirit of us talking about all the cool, awesome new cards coming out in the next expansion, whose name I forgot, and on which date I can't remember, we'll talk about that in a minute. I did want to talk about a maybe, I guess, underappreciated side of card gaming theory. Uh, okay, which right. is not really relevant to much of card gaming, at least certainly not relevant even to playing it. Um, but it is card reading, or rather evaluating new cards when they're previewed or when they first come out and nobody has established experience with them. Um, there is, I mean, we do it all the time whenever there's new cards. We do previews. We do, uh, you know, give our impressions or predictions for certain cards. Um but there is definitely, I think, a well, I think a lot of people go based on experience, which is certainly uh, important. I think there's certainly a level of um, theory that can be applied to it to help you understand why your experiences are leading you in that direction in terms of, you know, is a card good? Is it not good? And stuff like that. And I have a lot of thoughts on this, uh, but basically I was going to sort of lead this discussion with Mark about how we evaluate new cards. Now I have a list of different things here of different points I want to cover, but before I do that, I did want to kind of give Mark an opportunity to address, you know, his perspective um, on how he looks at new cards and the kind of uh, attention he gives to that. Yeah, I think people look at new cards in a lot of different ways. And the way that is like my my way is typically like, where does this fit? And I know there's probably a lot of different things to look at in terms of, um, you know, like different elements of cards, whether like, does this offer redundancy? Does this uh, create a new win strategy? Does this further an existing win strategy? Is this just straight up power creep on another card? Like, is it just straight up arguably better? Um, but for me, it's like, okay, I want to look at where the game is right now. And I want to say, where does this fit 
today because it doesn't matter how good a card is in a vacuum there are good cards in lor that are good in a vacuum that don't have a place because they just don't fit in with the rest of the cards no card exists mm -hmm. on its own in a card game cards exist with a bunch of other cards and so for me and i i fail at this pretty consistently i'm not real good at it but i i do try to say okay do i see this card actually fitting in to one of the existing meta decks or is the mechanic that they're giving us enough that it creates a new meta deck that it could potentially be on par power level, which is oftentimes the harder thing to do. Like, does this create something new that I'm not thinking about? Uh, LOR itself has made that a little bit easier because they kind of spell that out. It's like, oh, Soraka Kench. Okay, that's a deck. Oh, um, Nautilus uh, Deep. Oh, okay, that's a deck. Um, that has been spelled out a little bit easier for us. There's been some surprises of like cards that I didn't think were really powerful but created an entirely new deck. Um, I think that Go Hard uh, is is probably one of an example of that that I wasn't like blown away by, but it created like this whole new thing. Um, so, but I try to look at cards and say, where do they fit? So tell me some of the things DBA that you look at, like the multiple angles or, or, uh, aspects of a card that you look at to determine, is this playable? Is it not playable? How strong is it? Yeah. Uh, so the thing that, uh, I, I really like that you said is that, the, you know, the cards don't exist in a vacuum. And so looking at a card when they're being previewed, the nature of previews, at least the way that Lintera does and the way that most card games do it is they come in waves, uh, mm -hmm. and over time. Uh, so a lot of times cards that are that are, uh, you know, given impressions or predictions for in the first couple of days or the first couple of rounds of previews are typically tend to be the least accurate. And that's because you need context. Unless it's Grizzled Ranger and then it's super accurate. And then we're super, super busted. <laughs> just dead on. Um, you know, but you, you definitely need the context. And a lot of times context is provided as the rest of the expansion comes out and all of the new cards surround that card and empower it. Um, and so that should all just be noted as a sort of first and foremost thing that sometimes you'll be wrong, not because of any misjudgment, but because you lacked context at the time of interpreting uh, the information. So um, just because you get a wrong prediction doesn't mean you're bad at the game or that you don't know or understand what makes a good card. Sometimes you just uh, don't have the context. Um, and sometimes that context can be provided even after you see all the cards if some crazy combination comes up that nobody had cooked up. Sometimes even the devs don't even cook those things up. So those that context is often provided afterwards. And that's why we can look back at predictions and interpretations and reviews of cards, you know, an expansion later and chuckle at it and not get too worked up about it. So even though we're talking about how we evaluate new cards, it's not a really, like I said, it's not very important of a skill. It's just that it can help you when you're deck building on day one and two. If you already have that idea of, do I think this card is going to make it or not? Um, and so when looking at new cards, there are, I think, pretty common archetypes uh, of people. I think you have the person who views cards uh, based on the uh, that high point, like that when this card is used in the perfect scenario, it's amazing. And they look mm -hmm. at a card from that perspective. Um, and, and, you know, there are, I'm not going to call people out, but I know several individuals, uh, that look at a card that way. Um, and, uh, they say, man, this card is going to be crazy in this situation. And then I know people, and this probably is the more common thing in online communities because everybody wants to be a critic, but who look at the card in its lowest point and they say, okay, worst case scenario, this card is awful, right? 
but you really yeah. need to be looking at it in the average situation. Neither a good nor a bad, uh, and definitely not an extreme, but you know, on average, you know, if I'm playing a deck that wants to play, you know, up tempo, wants to play a creature every turn, I'm likely gonna have one, maybe two other creatures on board at the time. Does this card do well in that scenario? You know, if you look at a card and you say this card absolutely is hot garbage on an empty board, then that's a point of analysis. That's a really good thing to evaluate. Hey, this card is really, really bad on an empty board. You need to have something out already. Okay, but in that average situation, like like a, a person who's looking at it from the worst case scenario is going to say, oh man, if you don't have a board, you lose. This card sucks. You can't play it. They're right, but that's not the average scenario. Or rather, in the context of what you know, is that the average scenario? Because in something like Demacia, the average uh, scenario is going to be you have one or two creatures by the time turn four or five rolls around, sometimes more, very rarely less, but occasionally. And in the case that uh, you look at your Demacia list and you say, oh man, if I have nothing on board on turn four or five, I'm probably losing already. And it's not going to be this card's fault, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, sure, I, I'm losing because I was a board-centric deck who had no board. <laughs> exactly. You know, But on the flip side, if you look at a card and you say, oh my gosh, this thing is nuts when there's four-plus creatures on the board, then you start really having to evaluate, yes, this card is nuts when there's four-plus creatures on the board, but that's an above-average situation. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? And I think that that's something where you have to be conscious of that you know, uh, bias and, uh, you know, my buddy Dean, who I play, and I'll call him out because I know he's not into Runeterra and he won't listen to this and get mad at me. Uh, <laughs> my buddy Dean, uh, who plays uh, Legend of the Five Rings with me, um, he is definitely a worst case scenario evaluator, which I think makes him a very shrewd player. When he builds decks and he plays decks, he does look at it from the perspective of, I, you know, if I, I, he, he always thinks about what if my back's up against the wall? How am I, how am I going to get out of it? What type of cards are going to bail me out of bad situations? He always wants that comeback potential. And I think that serves him well as a player. But when you're evaluating cards, again, that average uh, utility of it is the biggest thing to focus on when evaluating a card. Now, when you're looking at the card itself and determining uh, what it's good at, what it's bad at. Obviously, you got to look at stats. You got to look at cost and compare that average stat distribution. So generally in Runeterra, the average stat distribution is going to be two times the cost, right? Sure. Um, so for a three drop, and, and this games. is common in Hearthstone. It's common in um, Magic too. Uh, magic, etc. cetera. Uh, so if you have a two cost card, you can expect there to be an average stat distribution of a two, two. Um, and if you have any you know, sort of above average stat distribution, which actually at, at two drop, by the way, is standard, the average stat distribution uh, in the game, in this game, is actually five mana or five stats on two. It's very rare for there to be a uh, two, 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 two drop viable. that sees any play. Um, there are exceptions, of course, uh, but usually those are ones that have a very specific type of effect, something like Arena Battlecaster or Avros and Sentry, something like that. Um, but, uh, the other thing to keep in mind is where is those, where are those stats distributed, right? Um, because if you have a card, generally speaking, a defensive stat distribution, uh, is pretty beneficial after like turn two, but on turn two, a two, three and a three, two are both really good, but in very different ways. Um, keep in mind, of course, in LOR, like fearsome, uh, means that a three attack two drop really helps you out. Uh, against certain types of like Shadow Isles lists, right? But on the flip side, uh, having a 3-2 versus a 2-3, uh, 
a 2-3 is going to do much, much better uh, in a meta that's prevalent with uh, Piltover and Zaun or uh, Powder Keg Bilgewater, where you've got a lot of two damage mm-hmm. uh, you know, spells and stuff like that. Um, and so you can evaluate it within the context of the meta, but keeping in mind, of course, the meta is likely to shift. Um, but you also look at a card from, okay, are these stats good with how the rest of the strategy wants to play? Again, context. Um, but if you have a a uh, you know a three two in a list that wants to sit back and play defensively, it might be great at trading up into you know bigger costed things. Whereas if you have a a two three in that same list, having a creature that survives um is nice but it doesn't actually end up cementing you a board advantage necessarily unless you're playing a lot of buffs the other thing that i really want to touch on here and i know i'm getting into sort of lecture territory so i'm going to kick it back to you in a second mark uh but identifying the purpose of a card from a synergistic perspective and this is like probably the most important thing which is why I saved it for this point in the discussion, because I want to hear your thoughts on it too. The idea of identifying the purpose of a card and that balance between is this card value or tempo? Mm-hmm, and is this mm-hmm. card an enabler or a payoff? Because if we really isolate card design into those dichotomies, and obviously some cards float between you have these this broad idea of either this card is giving me tempo in terms of you know putting stats on the board wanting to move towards the win condition or its value in terms of you know increasing longevity or moving you closer to your combo generally in terms of resources so ramping cards in hand stuff like that yeah sure um mm-hmm. health you know so value versus tempo and then from the synergistic perspective enabling versus payoff yeah, I think there's a really great example of this, right? And that is in the Daybreak package, right? The mm-hmm. enabling is the buildup of it. The payoff is the Leona. And then it swaps when Neo- Leona is leveled up. And then you start playing Daybreaks after she's leveled up. Now they get payoff, right? Because Leona's on the board. So I think that that's it. Because like the strong, one of the strongest and, and most clear synergy pieces, right? Is that the another really cl- clear synergy piece if you're looking at like setup, then payoff is going to be a lot of deep cards, right? You have a lot of stuff that mm-hmm. just one mana, one, one that uh, throws stuff out of your deck. Okay. So this is leading you towards your, 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 your pitching cards it's leading you towards your win cat strategy but a uh, one mana one one's bad like a one mana one one with nothing else is bad it's just not a good card if it isn't moving you towards your win strategy you're never playing a one mana one one toss four in a deck that doesn't want to toss things right you always are playing that in a deck that wants to go deep because it's important or you know wants to level up maokai maybe And so that's a synergy one drop versus a tempo one drop, which you're looking a lot more at like a one mana two, two, you know, Scythria of whatever, um, or the, the Omen Hawk. Yeah. And even Omen Hawk is like sacrificing tempo for value, right? Because you're, you're playing a one mana Mm -hmm. one, one in order to get value later because you're buffing stuff. But the, Mm -hmm. I think the one mana two, one that gets challenger when you play another creature, that's, that's Mm -hmm. a major tempo play, right? That's a real strong tempo card. Even like the, the the two mana three two that gives something else barrier right when you play it with that other hawk card like I, I'm so bad with card names a lot of uh, you know like there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of there's a lot of tempo you're gaining from that and I think that you know like the king of tempo in LOR I think is really failured like that's the spot where you're gonna see a lot of overstatted stuff 
Um, I think that actually Bilgewater is pretty good at that as well, um, to a certain extent. Um, in value, like you're probably looking at like, I don't even know what the best, what you would call the best value region is. Um, P and Z maybe. Um, well, you, you you can look at an LOR, you can look at value in a few different ways. I mean, um, you know, value generation can be resource extension. Uh, it can be, you know, generating other resources, aka your health. Uh, it can also be. Which, I mean, uh, Twisted Fate is mana. like is everything, right? Like Twisted oh, Fate Twisted is, Fate is, is, like is everything is, that is value in one package once he's leveled up. Right. It, although it, it should be stated too, he does have a little bit of tempo too. That's what makes him such a strong, flexible card. Um, and in fact, you know, he has he in many cases defies these uh, dichotomies that we're establishing as general rules of thumb, because not only does he enable a lot of plunder effects uh, because of his ability to ping mm -hmm. the face, um, and not only does he, he's, he's also a payoff if you draw a lot of cards. He can be both an enabler and a payoff, sometimes in the same deck. Similarly, yeah, he's great value, especially if you uh, get him leveled up and stuff like that, but when he initially comes down, he's also great in a way great tempo or rather he cares about the board he wants you to be able to remove a few things at once his stats aren't great but that's not all that tempo means right um you're really kind of commanding the pace of the game is tempo i mean tempo comes from music right mm -hmm. <laughs> um and so in that case you know he defies that expectation because he can come down and stun something big and slow that game down control the pace of the game he also can sit down draw you a card and uh over the course of two turns or so become this ridiculous value generating engine so, and control engine as well <laughs> yeah, right i mean yeah. he he absolutely yeah, he so you know, breaks this down um, but yeah, you have to look at that card and you have to determine, like, for instance, uh, let's talk about like a uh, mage seeker. Mage seekers are, you know, payoffs for playing a six mana card in the, in the strictest sense. Yeah. Oh yeah, right? definitely. You know, and the payoff is great, but then you of course have to look at what does it take to get this payoff? And in the case of mage seekers, that's always been the hard thing. Playing a six mana spell in order to get the payoffs isn't always worth it. Um, and so when evaluating a card, I disagree. I think it's always worth it when Ash and Locks are in your deck. <laughs> uh, you, it's always work, worth it when Mark's building Mage Seekers. Uh, <laughs> always. But, you know, same thing with like uh, like Weirding Stones, for instance. Weirding Stones, you know, it doesn't give you resources in hand, but it is that delayed value. It comes down. It doesn't really do anything on the board. You don't want to block with it. You don't want to. You can't attack with it. But it comes down and it basically says, "I am investing in the future of my deck and my strategy." Um, and that's kind of the, a good way to look at. And again, you know, these are not infallible uh, dichotomies, but when you're evaluating cards, it helps to have those frame of reference, uh, even though sometimes a card that you look at can defy it. Um, I think it's also worth noting that the, the last thing is more of a practical and something that I know a lot of people uh, look at, but it, it's it's still worth bringing up which is the idea of um, the competition in the slot. Yeah, actually, Gibby just said this in chat a couple minutes ago, and I, I think that's really a valid point. Yeah, and what it comes down to, it's not just cost, uh, although that is important. There's a lot of times when you look at playing champions, you look at these two champions and say, hey, these would be great together, but oh, guess what? I can't curve them out one into the other or if i do i'm mm -hmm. under curving right uh they're both taking up that same cost slot or something along the lines of 
uh, I have this great four drop and it wants to go in this deck, but I already have a four drop that does that. You know, I already have a four drop that achieves that goal. And in some cases, this is what we sort of touched on or, or really referenced. There's redundancy there, right? Some redundancy is, is, is a good thing or can be a good thing. Right. But in other times it's unnecessary. And when you evaluate a card, you look at it and say, I don't need more of this. I already have that. I need something else. Um, and so you kind of have to look at cards again, contextually from that perspective. Not only is this card good in a bubble, what is this competing with for a slot in a deck? Because there are a lot of cards that you want to put in decks. And then you realize what they're competing with and say, this other thing does it better. Or this other thing works with the other cards better. Right. But not just in cost, you also have to look in purpose. Right. And I think we uh, we mentioned uh, gotcha. I can't remember if we when we talked about gotcha, if that was uh, I actually think that was in the mulligan. We were just joking about gotcha. Uh, but gotcha is one of those cards that uh, you had to look at from the perspective of is this uh, competing purposes, right? Yeah, it's mm -hmm. maybe a different cost from get excited. It's it's definitely, you know, it can be, depending on uh, when you play it, a different cost than like Mystic Shot, you know, but it's still serving that same purpose of like targeted damage removal, right? Um, and you start saying, well, how much of this uh, do I need? Even if it's not competing at the same cost, like a four drop, you know, if you were trying to look at, you know, Grizzled Ranger, you know, versus uh, Laurent Blade Keeper, right? Those are strictly competing for your curve, but you know, gotcha and mystic shot and get excited. They're all competing for the purpose, right? Sure. Um, and so you have to look at it from that perspective as well. What is this card accomplishing and can I do it easier, better, uh, or cheaper? I'm going to give one, one final thought on this because I think there's an interesting two cards in the game to look at this, this perspective at, um, and that is Sithria and Genevieve. Um, so there are some decks that want to one run one or the other. They do basically the same thing, right? Sithria, six mana, six, six. When you attack, give all of your creatures plus one, plus one, and fearsome other than Sithria. Genevieve is comes down, gives all your creatures plus one, plus one, but she is a five, four with Scout and Challenger. They both basically buff your board and try to close out the game when you have a wide board. They want to do basically the same thing. Oftentimes in the Scout's deck, they don't run both because you don't want to in your hand you want to be ending the game at that point but there are some decks that aren't trying to end the game at that point they're trying to curve into that and then use those to power through and they actually want to drop Sithria and Genevieve or Sithria and Sithria and they're trying to try, trying to win the game through multiple drops sort of pressuring out their their foe in, in sort of like a mid-range style deck in which now Sithria and Genevieve become sort of a redundancy that you might need in the deck so you might run a couple copies of each whereas when they're being run as a finisher they're now not they're competing now for the same finishing move and you might not want six in your deck because it's too many you have much too high a chance of clogging up your hand with them because you're more aggressive and you're trying to win the game on six with this finisher um and so i think that that's an interesting conversation because those two cards are so very similar they're the exact same mana slot they do very very similar things um but there are some decks that want to run both and some decks that don't sort of depending on what you want to do with your deck and i think it's important to have an understanding when you're evaluating cards bringing it back to the subject um it's that you have to have sort of a mind that says okay does this card bring redundancy to a deck that needs it 
or is this card overkill in an area or is this card strictly power creep better than another staple card and it now removes a card from the meta because it's just strictly mm -hmm. better than its counterpart I, I, I think all that discussion is helpful when it comes to evaluating cards which is perfect because that's what we're about to do um dbn any final thoughts on this on the short topic before we dive into uh, evaluating cards yeah, the only thing I didn't, I forgot to mention was simply the last thing you have to look at, and this is definitely a contextual thing that often throws uh, top tier players. I actually see, especially heavy tournament players compared to like ladder players, I think can sometimes fall into this. I've known several that fall into this trap of only uh, viewing new cards through the lens of what can it do to current decks in current environments. Um, and that can really often warp their impressions of cards because they don't think about, and they, they maybe they're not the best deck builders, they're better pilots than deck builders. And sometimes they don't conceive of the potential of a card in an as-of-yet unidentified uh, archetype or strategy. Um, and that's a really hard thing to call, no doubt. Uh, but you have to keep that in mind. The only thing I guess I'd say really is uh, you you do look at what cards can counter it and how easily. For instance, like I uh, I think that uh, for those Tessel fans, the one of the strongest cards in the game that was you know in some of the best decks was Sorcerer's Negation, which was a two mana uh, spell that would silence something and then deal two damage to it. And for the entire rest of the game, ever since that card was released, the determining factor of any creature up until maybe a mana cost of like five or six, and even sometimes then it would get evaluated, was uh, does this get ruined by Sorcerer's Negation? Yeah. Um, and, you know, in many ways, we've looked at cards through that lens, especially early in the game's existence in Runeterra, like, does this get killed by Vile Feast? Okay, well, let's maybe not look at it so hard. Um, you know, does this, you know, get, uh, how, how much is this, does this get punished by something like Will of Ionia? Right. Um, and so you do have to look at it from that perspective in the short term. But in the long term, I mean, let's face it, like I think Vile Feast, while still very much played, uh, and obviously there's even more cards that do that one ping of damage, there's now more ways to trick trades in your favor. So it definitely has felt like Vile Feast has not been quite as dominating of a card as it was early in the game's existence. Similarly, like Will of Ionia, now nerfed and nobody plays it. So those had things it against can me today. change. Oh, really? That's yeah. that's actually pretty fascinating. <laughs> yeah, in a, uh, in a mage seeker in a mage seekers deck that was also playing the guy who made spells cost one more, so he played it for six mana and activated his mage seekers with it off of Stony Suppressor. Yeah, my lord. Yeah. Uh, did you win? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. 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 He he, sur <laughs> he, sur he surrendered because I I hushed his lux and, and blocked it with uh, my five five. So. Well, you know, when you're thinking about it that way, Stony Suppressor actually enabled Lux to get that that uh, yeah off of Will level of Ionia. Up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it was intentional. Must have been intentional. I actually to pay more for I, the same card. Be honest, I, <laughs> I I legitimately think that it was. Um, I oh I, th gosh, I think that, that was that his is plan. Ridiculous. I think that was his plan. It was that a bad plan. Ridiculous. He lost. Yeah, it was not a, a great idea, guys. Bad plan. But uh, you know what? Uh, teach their own. Anyway, so that has been our small segment. Uh, I hope you guys found it useful. You know, uh, occasionally we do like to go the more educational route. And it's not that we're, you know, MLG pros or anything, but we have been around the block a long time with multiple card games. So for a topic like this, 
I do hope that you know you guys at least had something to think about as we start diving into our own card uh, reviews and predictions for the cards that we uh, are about to uh, talk about and the, the cards that we've seen so far in this reveal season. But um, yeah, if you have any thoughts on this, of course, run them by me and, and let's see how well we can take this knowledge and, and translate it into useful card predictions. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and jump into the main segment for tonight. What the b- is that? Okay, guys, the main segment, we're talking about cards, cards, and more cards. We're going to get through as many as we can this evening as we look at uh, different things that have been put out. The first thing we're going to do is look at the new keyword and the card that was revealed with the new keyword. If you don't know what's been revealed yet, you're about to have it spoiled. If you don't want it spoiled, stop listening. And if you haven't seen them, stop by our Discord and look in the patch notes and spoilers section. The new keyword is called Augment. It reads, when you play a created card... Grant me plus one plus zero, which I originally thought was like, eh, I don't really care about that. Um, But then I realized that there are actually quite a few created cards already. And of course, Mm -hmm. we are going to get more. Um, Really anything that replicates itself. If you think like, think about how strong Hush was originally as a two mana keeps repeating itself card Um, with this. uh, It was it was much stronger. I kind of wonder if Augment, of course, Augment was already created if they knew that Hush wasn't going to always repeat itself. But uh, the first card that we got was a five mana, three, four epic card for PNZ called Mechanized Mimic. Uh, it has Augment, so of course, it's going to get plus one attack every time you play a card um, that you created. And then it has attack, grant me all keywords on allies. So you attack. If you have an elusive, this gets elusive. You have elusive overwhelm, this gets elusive overwhelm. You have regen or whatever, this gets that. Um, so uh, m- mechanized mimic. Five mana, three forces so is a good example of a card that does not have like it's not a strong tempo card um, because it's understated and doesn't do anything the moment it hits the board. But if you can attack with it, um, it could be really strong. I, I love the idea of mimicking keywords. Um, and I also love the artwork on this card. Um, personal impression. We always usually give like a thumbs up, thumbs down or unsure. Um, I don't think this card's good. I'm unsure about it though. Maybe it's good with other, with more context, um, maybe there's something that like helps get this thing elusive, which I think is probably like elusive spell shield or barrier are probably just the best three, um, but probably elusive is the best. Um, so yeah, I, I'm giving this like a thumbs to the side. I'm not 100% sure on this one. Um, DBM, what do you think about mechanized mimic? You know, uh, I don't think this will be meta, but I'm going to give it a thumbs up on the pure idea of the design aspect um, of I I love the idea of it being an option to distribute keywords to other things through a card. And I also want to say it's worth noting that it does at least get value without ever giving it additional keywords because it can give augment to other things, too. Um, And so at, at the minimum, when you attack. Wait, why can it give uh, oh, no, other gives, things? It augment. gets me all. Okay, I apologize. I read that incorrectly. Give me all keywords on allies. Hmm. So it I really like when the it was keywords onto itself because so it, it, it's a mimic. That makes sense. I actually like this maybe even more now. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I, I love I love the uh, idea here of getting the keywords from your other things. If anything, that makes it just super flexible. Um, yeah, I'm gonna give it a thumbs up. I don't think it'll see play. But in in top tier lists, it's really cool. But it is really cool. And sometimes I think this is going to be a really fun uh, draft card. I think it Mm. also is Mm -hmm. going to be something that people will play with and try to find a great way to use. Um, Again, you know, like you said, with elusive, you can pick up elusive. 
I also think that just simply uh, picking up like something like Overwhelm or Spell Shield or something like that can be impactful enough. Uh, it's just the mana cost is a little high. So I'm going to give it a thumbs up because I yeah. like it. I think the only way this card becomes like really like it, it's useful at all is if you can give it barrier or elusive because it, it needs a way to not get blocked um, or not take the damage because other it, otherwise it's just too understated at, at start anyway. I mean, maybe quick attack if you could also augment a couple times. But quick attack is exceptionally strong. It is. It's a good, it's a good ability. Um, Challenger which, I, it, you wouldn't be able to use. Um you can pick up Challenger, right? Yeah, but you would have to for attack to get it for future turns. You could also give yourself vulnerable. Yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> you also have... Uh, oh, I guess that's true. You have Zed, uh, Katarina, Jinx, Diana. There's a good amount of champs with Quick Attack that come down before five. Twisted Fate, Yasuo. Guess you could give All it those Scout. guys have Quick Attack. Um yeah, you could get Scout off of it. That's another great Scout's point. Fearsome. Bad. You could pick up Fearsome. Mm. Um, there are fearsome a lot five. of options. Yeah, yeah there's uh, a lot of things. Uh, yeah. I mean, Fearsome on five, you, you you say that, but that does force a bigger thing to block what normally a smaller thing would be fine blocking. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think, there's, I think there's enough options out there that it becomes interesting. Maybe not yeah. good in practice, but interesting enough. Sure. Uh, and, and I will say, quick attack is huge. And there's a lot of champs before turn five with quick attack. Some of them are on turn four. That's um, true. So maybe. Yeah. And 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 I will. I also say, want to say one more thing. You know, if we're finding a lot of things that are you know handing out keywords all the time uh, with you know this PNZ set, hey. Uh, if you've built up, you know, a couple of keywords here and there throughout the game, heck, if you played a plunder Poro, you know, <laughs> uh, sure. if you can play mechanized mimic on five and give it challenger, quick attack, lifesteal and overwhelm or scout, you're feeling pretty good. <laughs> as long as it doesn't get it blocked by your opponent's five, five on five. Well, that's what challengers for. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's jump into a a, a, a a champion that gives random keywords and uh, is on four, which is uh, our new champion that's coming out. Just in time. Uh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Our new champion is Victor. Victor is the PNZ champ that we're going to be getting through the whole, you know, uh, mountains of Targon or mountains of whatever it is set. Um, Victor is a four mana two four four mana two four. So statistically not real strong. Um, with augment. So when you play a card that you create he's going to get plus one attack you have to play eight plus created cards to level him up but also at round start he creates a hex core upgrade in your hand once you have played eight plus cards he is a four mana three five with augment now this isn't uh you have he has to actually see these cards being played as as i read it correct um no no oh okay no. well maybe he's stronger then uh okay so you've created uh it, then it, when he's leveled up he does create a hex tor hex hex core upgrade card in hand every round um at the beginning and then uh and then he also makes all of your created cards cost one less his hex core upgrade is grant victor a random keyword it's a one mana slow fleeting spell so uh it can't go on anybody but it goes on victor only so every round he plays a card. If once you've played eight of them, which you I don't even know how you could do that, um, he will level up. So you want to play other created cards in your deck as well. And then you do get this hex core upgrade, which consistently for one mana every round is going to be able to give Victor a 
random keyword. I think something that's important to go with it is his spell. Um, DBN, are you looking at it right now? Could you just tell us what his his champion spell goes with him? Because I think that's important. Well, so you have the spell that he creates, which is the hex score upgrade, which gives him a random keyword. Yes. Um, that's the one mana. It's one mana fleeting and slow. And the only way you get that, it's not a card you can include in deck construction. Um, but uh, the way that you get that is through uh, Victor's ability. So at round start. Yes. Uh, but then, of course, for his uh, champion spell, you know, champion spell, you have Victor's death rate. Now, this should be a card that you can include in deck building uh, because that's how all the other champions are. Um, and the way that that works is it starts as a one mana fast spell that deals one to a unit and then will create a death ray mark two in the top three cards of your deck. And of course, that one will deal two to a unit, costing two, and put a death ray mark three in the top three cards of your deck. Now, I am going on the assumption that this is going to continue looping uh, for as long as you play those death rays and. I don't. I, I wonder if there's an upper limit. Yeah, Death Ray Mark Three is right below it, right there. Um, it is a three mana fast spell that deals three to a unit. But then it's done. It doesn't keep adding stuff to your deck. So. Oh, it's at the bottom. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I've looked at this thing two or three times and did not see that <laughs> in the bottom left corner. Yeah. So uh, okay. It, so it, it does goes cap one, two, three. three, and it caps at three. Yeah. Then and then That's the spell is gone. Probably a good thing. Although yeah. I can't hit face. Uh, that that is probably a good thing. But, I mean, is that really what you want in the top three cards of your deck? I don't actually know. Okay, so let's look at Victor first. What are your thoughts on Victor? Um, I mean, he's a huge kit, right, because of his death ray, because of his hex core upgrade. There's a lot going on there. I really like Victor from the perspective of fun. I have some big concerns about Victor because he doesn't do anything a single thing for his entire first turn that he's on the board. He's really slow, right? He is, is that your concern? He's slow. slow. Yeah, well, he doesn't do anything. If he had uh, on play and round start, similar to like um, Gangplank, you know, Gangplank brings down a, uh, a keg when he comes down and uh, on round start, right? Um, I would feel a lot better about this guy because then you could bank a mana and you know toss a keyword on him and hopefully pull barrier lifesteal whatever. Uh, is barrier by the way officially a keyword? Like yeah, officially? it is a keyword, but it officially ends at the end of a round. Yeah, yeah, it, okay. it, it is a keyword. I wasn't sure because it was temporary if it would be able to be pulled through something like this. The, the, the interesting part is then do you lose the keyword and are you able to get barrier over and over again? Like once you've had uh, it and I it drops, so. I think that it drops off your, your card and then you can yeah. pick it up again. I, I would assume so. Yeah, I mean, it would um, work like that with any other barrier, right? Just because something loses barrier doesn't mean you doesn't can't mean give it, it can't barrier again. again. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, and you hope you pick up barrier or lifesteal or quick attack or something like that. It, it, of note, there are quite a few good keywords to pick up that will help him stay alive. Uh, elusive, quick attack, barrier. Um, spell shield. You also have spell shield. Well, spell shield, I, I'm thinking more about it because my big issue with Victor is uh, he has average defense, which isn't terrible. Like I don't think you're going to attack bad. with him, though. You don't think you're going to attack with a guy that has augment? Not right away. I mean, he's going to get big. Like you need you, you. There's no reason to play. I I don't think you play Victor for his level up ability unless you're playing him explicitly with Heimerdinger, yes. which is a compelling way to play. But 
uh, I think you want Victor to attack. You Ideally, Victor starts stacking keywords and starts swinging. The issue with Victor is going to be in the situation where you can't ever attack with him and build momentum, mm-hmm. right? You need Victor. I think he's he's such a board-centric character. I mean, he, he doesn't do anything that isn't related to the board. He doesn't draw you cards. Uh, yeah. He doesn't, you know... It's he true. doesn't affect the enemy. He doesn't heal you. He doesn't, you know, I mean, you have a lot of, of champs that, uh, and even when he levels up, it's a, it's not a big bonus, you know, it can be like, yeah. that is value. I mean, off he gets of basically discounting a things. free, a free thing every turn, like a, a, a free yeah, keyword, free keyword. But it's not really free, right? Because it takes your turn, which is potentially more valuable than the mana like you'd almost rather continue to spell mana on mana on it if you could do it at burst speed um obviously i mean yeah and i mean there are and here's the thing like your creative cards cost one less well okay that means that all my puff cap summoning things are free you know okay that means that all my uh heimerdinger bots are free that's great no doubt um i think they're not all free they're all discounted i mean um sorry they're all they're all discounted uh, but I I wish this said I've seen you play eight created cards, and then I wish it said your created cards are burst speed. Uh oh. Hmm. Well, I mean, but that would be precluding the idea that you have created creatures, which there are plenty of ways to create creatures. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe um, maybe your created spells are burst speed. Like your yeah, created the, the, spells are burst speed. Yeah, because I, if you think I mean, about that, would, that could that could create some. I do not want to. Okay, I mean, I love okay. the concept there, but that's just, okay. That in the world with me. all the <laughs> in the world with all the celestial stuff, maybe that's ridiculous. Maybe that's. Oh yeah. Oh gosh, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, yeah I mean, no, I mean, he's obviously to be played potentially with celestial stuff because you create all of your celestial cards. Um, sure. I heard in someone fact, say that he should probably be played with Zoe. We just haven't seen Zoe yet. I here's okay. So Victor is really fascinating because of how many things he works decently with. Um, he can work okay with uh, uh, Ezreal because Ezreal can create mystic shots and throw them at the face, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ezreal also wants you to play a lot of spells. Well, he can discount created spells like puff cap things, and he creates uh, a spell works, every round as well. It's... Yeah, he also works well with Heimerdinger because Heimerdinger actually levels him up pretty fast. Uh, because you're summoning these created bots, right? And mm-hmm. then eventually he can discount any bots. Uh, well, actually, they won't stick in your hand because they are fleeting. So I'm wrong about that. Uh, you know, but the simple situation is like he actually does pretty well uh, with a couple things. I think he also might not be terrible with Vi, right? Because, um, you know, you're wanting to play created things. Vi's going to level up in your hand while they have to deal with Victor. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the big thing. I think Victor, maybe his biggest benefit will be you have to respect him because he grows. He himself, he's his own engine, right? Yeah, because um, every time in. when you, pl- right, because anytime you play the hex score upgrade, uh, you'll get that keyword and he'll get plus one attack. Because don't forget, with augment, that counts as a created card. Yeah. So on turn uh, five, after you've brought Victor down for four and he did nothing, which is, of course, the, the bane of the card is that he does nothing when you bring him in at first. Um. You know, he'll grow to a 3-4 with a random keyword, plus however many other created cards uh, you can play on that turn. He definitely wants you to bank spell mana. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Around him. He really does. And here's the other thing. You are forced, if you really want Victor to get to be a win condition, you're forced to protect him. Um, and that 
sometimes will be covered by his hex core upgrades, but not reliably enough that you don't need to run some sort of defensive buffing uh, or yeah, some target sort of failure or something like that. Right, exactly. And there are plenty of, of regions that will support him in that respect, but it does require you to build in that direction uh, and is something where Victor is definitely going to be a card that, while flexible in deck construction, is going to require certain types of things to be viable. He has to, you know, he requires you to play things to create cards, obviously, um, but he also requires you to uh, play things that protect him. So both he want he's a build around, but a flexible enough one that I find him really exciting and compelling. I just don't know how he's going to land when on turn four he doesn't do anything. Yeah, I'm actually more excited about playing Death Ray with Ezreal decks than I am about playing Victor. Ugh. I think, um, to just be honest, but uh, just because it gives like it's just three targets and it's decent removal and. Um, you know, it's not like a three mana deal one at first. Um, it's a one mana deal one and it's fast speed. Um, so I actually it, like Death Ray, but I think that Victor's cool and I am excited to play with him. And I, I wanted to play Victor Ezreal like as soon as I saw him. I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna try him, I'm gonna try Victor Ezreal with Death Rays. Um for it sure. occurs to me he might be the best champion to play when he's when it's not your attack token, maybe alongside like Tom Kench. Uh yeah, like, that makes at the sense. End to of, me. At the end of their turn, you drop your big rock after they've played things to attack you or whatever, or they play tricks. Yeah, he's probably best drop, in that scenario. Yeah, you know, and then you start your next turn with five mana, you know, and a hex core upgrade. Yeah, and now you can spend that mana protecting him. Yeah, maybe two or three spell mana as well would be nice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay, the next one, next card is, let's move on from Victor. We, we both like him, a little unsure if he's great. Uh, iterative Improvement, which is a two-mana burst PNZ spell. So two-mana burst, pick a follower, create a copy in hand with plus one, plus one. Oh my goodness, I'm playing Mist Wraiths with PNZ so that I can play Iterative Improvement, <laughs> and that's the only card I'm going to play. I'm going to have that, and then I'm also going to have Stalking Shadows, which also burst to create ephemeral things. Um, and I'm going to give my things plus one plus one and play them iterative improvement. This gives a, a big old thumbs up for me. I freaking love this card. I think this is a super cool card. I think it's strong. Um, and I'm willing to, to put my voice out there and be really wrong about it. So I, I think this is a really strong card and might be a PNZ staple. So I asked myself when I looked at this card, uh, I said, what do I want to copy? Right, you, you um, want to copy Mist Wraith and and Wraith Collar. Well, okay, let's talk about that. Um, do I want to copy Mist Wraith? Yes, maybe. Here's the thing about Mist Wraith, and I don't know. Maybe you're totally right. I happen to like Pale Cascades as my one of in that deck, by the way. Um, and I don't know if I'm willing to give up Pale Cascade for this card because, uh, am I willing to pay four mana? For a Mist Wraith. Yes, with Rising Mist, but only because it's at burst speed. And even though Iterative Improvement is at burst speed, playing the thing that you just created is not. True. Um, and I don't think I want to pay four for a Mist Wraith when I could be playing Pale Cascades and drawing an extra card. This doesn't actually create uh, an extra card in hand. All it does is replace itself with a card that you really want to play a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Now you do want to play Mistrates a lot of times. This allows you to effectively run six copies of Mistrate 
theoretically, right? And of course, with Wraith Caller and Rising Mists or whatever that that thing is, you're now running basically twelve copies of Mist Wraiths. More um, Mist Wraith. Sure, it can't hurt. I will say, there's also a great. This is also would be great with Doom Beast. Oh, very good with Doom um, Beast. Very good with Doom Beast. Very good with Frenzied Skitterer. That's good. Um, true, there true. are good cards that this can copy, and in a deck with a lot of good summon effects, this is might be enough. So, in short, is it just because it can copy Misrace? Is it great for Misrace? I don't think it's worth it. But when you put into context copying Doom Beasts as well, it starts to become a lot more appealing. And and I can certainly I can certainly respect that. Um, I just uh, I don't know. I I you know what else would be cool is creating a copy of the one mana Yeti. That could be fun. Sure. Uh, you know, well, you're getting a three mana six six. In that case, mm-hmm. um, th- there are certainly interesting. Oh yeah, that things. would be cool. That would be very. But strong. the wide the wide range of possibilities makes this really hard to read. Uh, yeah, you can copy I, literally any follower, and and I I don't want to pour through the entire range of possibilities. But you know what? I'm going to give it a thumbs up because even if it's not great, I again. I really like the design. In fact, a lot of times I really like the PNZ card design. Even though it's definitely not my favorite faction, there's a lot of fun experimental things to love in there that really convey that that feeling of it being this techno magic, you know, region and I like that. Yeah, and I I think this continues in that sort of like augmenting yourself uh yeah, cybernetic type of theme. Okay, the next cards mm-hmm. are there's a whole the next cards are interesting because there's like a, a slew of them that go with one. So calculated creations is a two mana burst PNZ spell. It says create an uh an armed yeah armed gearhead a nindroid or a ballistic bot in hand. So two mana burst. You choose one of the three. It's not random. You choose one. They all have augment. Um, armed gearhead is a one mana one one with quick attack and augment um and then the two mana one is ballistic bot it is a two mana one three with augment and then at round start you create an ignition in hand which i'll get to in a minute because it's another created card it creates one every round and then uh nandroid is a cat that's a cat droid it's a three mana one three with augment and elusive so it's an elusive creature that will grow the the ballistic bot creates ignition in hand every round, and that is a one mana slow fleeting spell that deals one damage to the enemy nexus. Um, okay, there's a tremendous amount there. They're all interconnected. Now, important to they don't have to go with calculated creations. Calculated creations creates these three, but ballistic bot, armed gearhead, and uh, nandroid, I believe, are all cards on their own, each individually, because they have a rarity gem. Um, so you could run any one of those in your in your augment deck, and then also run calculated creations. My initial thought is is that this might be augment overkill. Like, that was my initial thought. I looked and I was like, I don't know that I want to run. I'm certainly not going to run Armed Gearhead, Ballistic Bot, Nandroid in my deck and then also run Calculated Creations is kind of what I'm saying. I don't see myself running Calculated Creations and all three of these cards. Maybe I'm running Calculated Creations in my uh, in my Victor deck. Um, yeah, um, maybe. Uh, it's hard to tell. I I think is this all of the PNZ cards or we are there more? Well, there's there's two more here. 
Um, we might get one more yet. I don't know. Well, hmm. It's tough because calculated creations, I assume, because it says calculated, it's not random. You get to pick yeah, you get which, to one, pick you which one you want for sure. I, I like that uh, tentatively. The question is, uh, which one is going to prove to be the more consistently useful card? Niandroid, uh, elusive. Yeah, that's, I think that's, I mean, that's strong. It. I think that's strong. You know, but it takes a little bit to get it going, right? It, it's augment. You know, elusive three, you know, elusive one three for three isn't great. Now, having a three back end on an elusive is pretty rare. So that's helpful, but it's going to be really value over a couple turns, ideally, that Nandroid really shines, right? When you're able to mm -hmm. play a couple of the creative cards, buff it up, and then it's a real threat to their life total. I think that that's legitimate. I don't know if it's going to be good, but it's a legitimate thought to say that hey this might actually be playable ballistic bot on on the similar note actually is pretty interesting the idea that you're creating cards that will in turn buff it uh through augment and yep. of course interestingly um you know dealing one to the enemy nexus can trigger uh plunder effects yeah it's giving um, you a free you plunder know, effect in hand right and so ballistic bot in that case might be a great two drop to be playing in either frailure that wants to run sedge uh, or maybe, of course, you know, Bilgewater that wants to run any number of their champs, you know? Yeah, I think uh, he's really good potentially with Sedge or uh, or Gangplank. I mean, he's excellent with those two. Yeah, and, and I can definitely see the idea of like, okay, I'm going to play Ballistic Bot on two. On turn three, I'm going to use Ignition, and then I'm going to play, you know, two Jagged Butchers and then laugh. Turn, and, and, and the thing is, turn four, you can play Ignition again. Turn five, you can play Ignition again. And until they get rid of this Ballistic Bot, you're going to deal damage to them on their turn and on your turn, which I think is yeah, important. And, and in addition to enabling, you know, all these other things, and, and really that is what this card is largely is an enabler for Augment, but also inadvertently an enabler for uh, Plunder, or maybe advertently. I don't know. I don't know the devs personally. I can't tell, but uh, I think you also have the benefit of the fact that because it itself has augment, uh, eventually, you know, you're, he's going to be a respectable body. You know, I mean, you play the ignition on the next turn, uh, and he's a two three, two mana two three. That's pretty good. His stats are in the right place for uh, what he's trying to do, uh, and that's my biggest concern about armed gearhead. Right? I love mm -hmm. quick attack. I think quick attack is a really. I mean, obviously, it's a very strong, but I also have a lot of fun. You know, with quick attack, I love like my my you know kind of personal obsession with playing uh, Ionia decks is putting one or two copies of Rush in just to hand quick attack over when people don't expect it. You know, um, Armed Gearhead has that quick attack, but dang it, if his stats just aren't helpful. Um, whereas yeah. Neandroid has that three back end that means it'll its attack will grow eventually. Armed Gearhead is a one one for one. Augment quick attack, great keywords. It's just going to get eaten by Go Hard, Vile Feast, anything. Well, if you uh, think about it, like it compares to uh, Academy Prodigy, which is a PNZ two mana three one with quick attack. Um, and that never ever sees any play. A two mana no. three one with quick attack. And to get this thing up to being a three one, you're going to have to pay, play two cards that you created. How long is it going to take you to do that? You're not going to create and play cards on turn two and turn three. Maybe it will happen on turn three with your ballistic bot on two. And then maybe on four, this turn four, this guy gets to be a three one with quick attack. I I don't I don't see that paying off very you well. You know, for you. I, I can see this the niche scenario where an armed gearhead goes as a one drop in an aggro list, right? 
in a situation where, hey, you know, on one, uh, he's not incredible, no. but over the next two turns, he becomes pretty good because they are forced in against an aggro deck. You you have to block, but of course, with a quick attack, he says, okay, you, you can't block me. Similar to Draven. I mean, Draven says, oh crap, he's like the worst nightmare for someone trying to slow down an aggro list because you have to block him because he's a good chunk of damage, but you he's know, you don't actually clear anything, right? He's awful to block. Similarly, that that would be what the role he would serve is. Unfortunately, he starts at one attack, which means if they play any one drop in the game, uh, you, you run lose. the risk of that going out the window. Well, especially if they play a Scythria or a, or a Jagged Butcher uh, or anything that's a one two Solari Soldier, a three three. Yeah, Solari Soldier. Yeah, ja- I yeah. mean, there's so many yeah. there's so many potent one drops that you'd rather one run. Uh, as an aggro list or against an aggro list that I just don't, I mean, he is clearly yeah. the worst card uh, in this grouping. And I don't think I'd ever create him off of calculated. <laughs> no. okay. I can see, the one I can see creating scenario, either of the other two though. The one scenario you would create him is you have one mana left and you need to play something else for augment on your other things. If he's like giving one attack to sure. three things on board because you only spent one mana on him, but he's, he's pretty bad other than that. I think. Uh, you want to talk about the landmark? You you looking at it? I can look. Yeah, at it. yeah, I'm looking yeah. at Hexcore Foundry. Uh, so we are in this situation now where uh, we are seeing landmarks uh for other factions, sometimes repeating. In this case, we have a second PNZ. Now I heard someone saying that that's because one of these exists in Piltover and one of these exists in Zon. I don't know enough about the lore, but the Hexcore Foundry looks pretty interesting from a lore perspective. But that's not what we're here for. For a three-mana landmark, everyone draws an extra card every turn at round start. Mm -hmm. And that is both a understated but pretty scary effect. Yep, I think it's super scary. You know, most decks are not going to be able to leverage that into a useful game plan. But I, so you know, anything that draws cards, you have to raise an eyebrow at. I've said that since we started recording. I said that back when we were in season one doing Tessel. Anything that says draw has to be eyed, you know, suspiciously. And this is a situation where, for that, you know, again, that loss of tempo, it is a exclusively value generating play. Uh, but it lasts for the rest of the game because. Or no, rather, uh, very a long rarely time. people running removal for the landmark. And we are seeing some more landmark removal, and it is equally unimpressive yeah. as what we already have. <laughs> yeah, we're about to talk about it. It's bad. Um, Mark, I, I want to hear your thoughts on it, but here's the thing. I'm, I'm concerned that this is going to fall in the camp of so many other kind of like lasting value generators where it's useless until it's broken. Yeah, I, 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 I'll be honest. I think it could be broken now. Um, I'm always super suspicious of round start draw card like scenarios. Um, I, I remember when MTG had a card that every round you would draw an extra card and take one damage. Um, and it was just so, so strong. Like you would just keep, I mean, you would just generate so much value off of it and your health was a pull. This does make your opponent draw a card too, which of course some people are like, oh, you're getting the same exact thing. Well, you're not getting the same exact thing because your deck is built to play with this card. Their deck is likely not built to play with this card. So because your deck is built to play with this card, you're building a deck that wants to burn two cards around. It doesn't matter if your opponent draws two cards every turn if they're only ever able to curve out and play one card a turn. 
where if you can consistently play both of your cards um, or you're drawing to your win strategy because you're playing a combo deck. That's the thing that worries me for things like this is that it 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 is really strong for combo decks, right? Imagine this card in the world where we were playing Ezreal Karma when they were still what they were before. And this mm-hmm. card just keeps drawing cards. Even in a deck that's running Ezreal right now, I think this card's really good for because it's just going to keep drawing and keeping cards in your hand. You're never going to run out of cards. Um, arguably, you know, the, the University of Piltover does that, but it does it in a meme way. This does it in the way that you want to do it. Um, I think this card is strong. I just don't know how strong. I just, it's one of those cards where it's like, I know in a vacuum, this card's probably really good. Um, and I don't want to evaluate it in the back vacuum. I just don't know what deck this enables. Like, this is one of those cards that I look like and say, I think this enables a different, a new deck that I'm not seeing yet. Um, I mean, it might be Ezreal, uh, Ezreal TF. Like, both of them want to draw. Um, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I definitely think that there's a Twisted Fate list in here somewhere. Um, you know, there's also Puff Caps, where you want your opponent to draw. Oh, that's true. Didn't even quickly think about into that. Puff Caps. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I can definitely see, like, a Teemo Sedge list that runs this. Uh, you know, Teemo Gangplank, Teemo whatever, you know, that... that uh, and it maybe even not even with Timo, maybe with some other thing, you know, but w- with puff caps, you already have um, y- you just speed up the process that puff caps kill your opponent. And you already have something like veteran investigator, which allows both players to draw a card when it's summoned. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, there's there's a few there might be one or two other things that allow both players to draw cards. Uh, I think the veteran the investigator and this are like the only two that make both draw might a card. Be, maybe it is. Um, but the simple reality is there, there's a lot of uh, little ways that you can combo this with things. You just have to find the right list that's going to give you time to play it on three. And the situation is, yeah, in a, in a very fast aggro environment, you're going to have a hard time finding that. I think Fearsome would like eat this card up, right? Um, discard aggro would probably eat this card up, or almost certainly eat this card up. But I think in an environment which is fairly balanced, where there's a lot of variety and the aggro ducks aren't too oppressive, Right, this card. I feel like there's enough time in this current environment for this card to come down. Uh, I agree I, with that. And so I th- am a little concerned that someone's going to break it day one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, even if they happen. don't break it day one, it's going to run the same direction of any sort of long-lasting value cards. Where even if it's dead on day one, or even if it's maybe like Mimi on day one, it will get to the point where someone will break it. Because cards like this do not go their entire lifespan without being played in something. Yep. And they usually don't go their lifespan without getting nerfed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or changed in some capacity. I agree. Yeah. Aftershock is the next card. Uh, a four mana PNZ spell slow. Deal three to anything or destroy a landmark. So notably, it's important to note this can go face, right? This can be four mana deal three damage to the face. Um, I look at this. I, I want to know what you think, TBN. I think this is the most, potentially the most versatile landmark destruction that we have. Uh, I like Scorched Earth better, but... But you have to enable Scorched Earth. And it yeah, but it's not hard to enable. That's like, true. it's the easiest enabler in the game. I mean, it, 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 just by playing relevant to the board, yeah, you enable Yeah, it's fast speed, too. 
Um, it's fast speed. That's I mean, that really is huge. It's also one mana cheaper. It can get rid of bigger things. Like the potential for Scorch Earth to kill a a slightly damaged, I don't know, Scythria. Whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, I can damage anything and kill it compared to this only ever can do a maximum of three. Right. And especially when you look at the again, the competition, like we talked about, like what what is this competing with? like this is competing with your three copies of mystic shots and your three copies of thermo beam which are always going to go in their yeah. pnz list mm-hmm. like where do you find room for this card maybe a one of maybe a one by copy just as a well if i run up against a good landmarks deck i hope i draw into this right yeah that's kind of where i was at was like okay it's also it's also competing against uh get excited it's competing against um what's the arrest one gotcha. that we were talking about earlier? gotcha it's competing yeah. against death ray I mean, yeah, there's, there is so many options for dealing damage in PNC. It's part of their identity and that's cool, but I am a little disappointed by this card, not because I wanted, and I guess maybe I shouldn't be, I want landmarks to be playable and I don't like silver bullets. I'm on record saying I don't like silver bullet cards, right? That just call out a specific type of card and say, if you play this, you get screwed. Um, and, and especially with this, you know, and, and they're trying, I can see that there's looking at these cards and saying, okay, we want this to be playable in other situations, but we don't want it to be so playable in these other situations that they, uh, you know, dominate and completely push out landmarks. But what they're basically doing is saying, all right, landmarks, you have free reign until you get to a certain tier, in which case people are going to start wasting deck slots to say you lose all the time now. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just not a situation that's long-term good for landmarks because if they ever get too good, Everybody just starts packing these cards that make them that unplayable. make landmarks from good to unplayable. Um, you know, so I, that's a little disappointing. I, it's really my one of my very few complaints about the design direction of this game because overall, I'm a huge fan of the way that the devs have been making Runeterra. I really, you know, applaud them for their good efforts here. Um, but Aftershock isn't isn't really one of them. I think this card could have been fast and would have been fine, especially considering Scorched Earth sees limited play and is fine. I, I, I at, at slow, this card is just not yeah. good and won't see play. This card, will, I'm on record now. This card's not going to see play until landmarks become busted. And once they do, this card will see play until they're put back in their place and then it's getting cut again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, the only thing I would ever say is the only other place where this sees play is if PNZ gets enough spells that go face that you can make almost like a freeze mage style burn deck that's just gonna punch a ton of damage into face over two rounds that can discount that damage, then th- this card goes in that deck. Um, but that's the only scenario. Yeah, maybe. But again, it's just another thing speed. that can deal damage to spit can deal damage to face, right? Yeah, it's just that slow speed burns this card so much. It does. If this is fast, I would be saying, oh, maybe. But slow, slow speed is absolutely brutal, guys. I mean, this, this, you know, the card has to be very good for it it to be slow and still be played. Yeah. Let's move. Let's move on. There's a couple of cards left, and we've been at this about an hour and twenty minutes. Um, I'm gonna look at this last set of cards. Why don't we each pick one from this last set of cards to discuss? Because there's there's stuff there. Yeah, it is. Um, it it is tough, but we we're running out of time, and um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna choose mine first because I like Freljord. So, 
Um, oh, geez. It is tough, actually. There's there's three in here that I want to talk about. Uh, I wonder yeah, if they're the I same mean, three you want to talk about. Probably. I have It Who Stares, Boom Ship, and The Scar Grounds. Uh, yeah, I would say those are my three. Definitely the two frail yards. Everything else is kind of yawn for me. Uh-huh. And boom ship is an insult, so, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, well, okay, so uh, let's talk about Scargrounds. Landmark, um, it's a Freljord landmark, three mana epic. Um, so this is the second landmark for Freljord, so the concept that they split PNZ up, and that's why they have two landmarks. Not founded. Um, so when an ally survives damage, grant it plus one, plus zero, and tough. When an ally survives damage, so this, I, I just immediately thought DBN, like, does this make the uh, Crimson package better? I mean, obviously it makes it better, but does yeah, it make it, it, it playable? Yeah, it does make it better, but it forces it into this region combination. Yeah, it has to be with Freljord now. Which basically kind of, A, it kind of sucks because it already was sort of forced into this region combination traditionally. Um, and it, now it's once really again is saying, it. now it's really in it. And you almost wonder, I might be able to make a better Scarthane quote unquote list without it, without Vlad and those boys, mm -hmm. maybe. And now Transfusion's pretty great, don't get me wrong. But this card, even without, um, you know, running the, the Blood uh, Crimson package, I think this card is still pretty good for any sort of like uh, mid-rangey list because there's enough times where you'll buff something to survive damage and it's not just the plus one attack, it's the tough that really matters because it's going to make it so much tougher <laughs> uh, to finish them off after the trade, right? Um, and it will sometimes force someone into saying, okay, I'm attacking. Okay, then it comes to me. Okay, I block. I block with my units. They look at it. They do the math. They see that I'm going to, my creature, obviously because I blocked with it, is going to survive the trade. But they look at the scar grounds and they say, okay, I have this vile feast that would normally finish this creature off, but obviously now it, once get this really takes bad. the damage, yeah. <laughs> now it won't do that. So I'm forced to play this vile feast preemptively before the trade happens, which then gives you, the player, the decision, do I want this vile feast to finish my creature off? And actually, even if it does, it still survives the damage. It gets tough. So they're going to have to go overboard. And then, of course, because they're playing that all beforehand, you can look at it and say, mm, okay, I will play my Elixir. Right? It, it makes a lot of uh, both Shadow Isles and PNZ removal. And and uh, it actually makes Noxus removal that wants yep. to maybe and do... And Bilgewater. Bilgewater. Wants maybe do a couple of things or ping stuff away. Uh, it makes all of that stuff a little bit messier. Make it rain is even more in her... Yeah, with, uh, like with this Yeah, this yeah. just protects your board so much from so much removal in the game. It's not just I straight really, up hard removal. I do really like this card. This is my favorite card previewed this entire expansion. Victor is close. I really like Victor. This is this is my favorite. Okay. And notably, this is a cheap landmark that has to do that cares about the board. One of the things we talked about when we were looking at the landmarks uh, previously, and I think we did because we did a little discussion on them. Uh, I guess back a couple weeks ago and uh, oh goodness uh, trying to look up landmark and I put landmarks plural and none of them popped up um, but a lot of them uh, they're more Reese you know they're more value generators or enablers right like star spring is this weird alt win condition it does care about the board um, slaughter docs is almost strictly both a 
a slow, very slow card. Howling Abyss, Vaults of Helia, all very slow. Nox Cry Arena, borderline unplayable. Is right? un- it's not borderline. It's complete. It's borderline. Hey, be part I did of the game. win a game with it one time. That doesn't uh, make it borderline. <laughs> okay, you're right. It's unplayable. Uh, Scar Grounds cares about the board. It comes down at an appropriate price point, in my opinion. It's uh, going to be something of a value-generating engine. Oh, it's going to be an absolute uh, but it nuisance comes, to deal with, too. It's Yeah, it's going to be hard to deal with. And, and really what it's going to do is, even though it's a slightly it's a low-tempo play, it begins paying itself off almost immediately. Um, it, so you're going to start generating value with it, sometimes even that same turn if you have a one-drop or a two-drop on the board, and you can enable them to not die to a trade or just get a chump block. Or even if Scarground's being down dissuades your opponent from attacking, that is still value. Yeah, agreed. Um, so I think this is just all around an excellent, excellent landmark. Will it be top tier? Who can tell? Will it be playable? And will it be in a in a meta in a tier list deck? I think so. In so many ways, like it's such a good defensive card, and I know it doesn't look like it's 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 sort of like three mana do nothing. But when you are the when you choose how to defend, and you yeah. can make this card work for you, it just makes your opponent never want to attack you unless they have very clearly favorable trades. When they don't have very clearly favorable trades, and your stuff starts living, and then becomes harder to get rid of, and gets more attack, and can trade better, and is harder to get rid of, it's a it's a really ugly thing to try to deal with. Um, I. I think this is a good card. It gets a thumbs up from me as well. Oh, big old thumbs up for me. And, and, you know, whether you pair it with Noxus for the crimson package uh, or not, you can also pop over at one thing I thought of that might be cool with this was the fortune croaker uh, from, uh, from Bilgewater, which says play deal one to uh, me and, and draw. ally to draw one. That's really good. Uh, you also have the, uh, you know, like the box to puss and, and those guys. Well, the guy uh, who comes down, the Krusty Codger. Yeah, the Krusty Codger. Now, if this is down, he becomes a one mana three, two with tough that can heal two still. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can still heal now. I mean, healing is hard to find in those factions, I guess. But the bottom yeah, line I is, there yeah, are, that's true. you know, you also have Ember Maiden, which is just going to be awesome with this. Now, they come down at the same drops. So you can't you'll have to undercurve one of them, mm-hmm. but like worth it. Right. <laughs> and once everything has tough, then they won't start getting damaged by Ember Maiden. It's a match made in heaven. Ember yep. is already my favorite rare card in the game. Uh, there's just so much to love about this. Uh, I can't say enough about why I'm going to be playing scar grounds. First thing. Yeah. You know what? Let's end the card discussion on that. I think, I think scar grounds deserves, you feel like scar grounds deserves the end of the card discussion. Uh, no, you no. really want to talk about it that stares. It that stares has got to be in here, man. Okay, it that stares, eight mana, eight eight, rare from Frailyord. When you play it, it's play, so not summon, but play. Obliterate all landmarks or deal two damage to all other units. Okay, why do you think it that stares needs to be in here? Because I'm curious. I love the artwork on this. I'm not blown away by the card itself. Um, I've been asking for high-end cost uh high-end creatures that do something with the board okay that's true uh for a while and that is exactly what this does yes uh on turn eight there's not gonna be a lot of things that die to the two damage but uh it's still going to deal that two damage to things and in a control failure list, I think, and maybe, you know what? Maybe not in a control failure focused list, 
farming this out to other control lists and other control factions seems potentially worthwhile. Um, I don't want to overly compare it to cards from other games, right? But like you had uh, Candy Crush Giant. Yeah, and right? Castle. Mm-hmm. Right, which would a six drop with worse, way worse stats that come down and deal two to everything in its lane. That was an extremely potent card. Here's the thing. Like compared to like Captain Farron. Now Farron has overwhelm, uh, and he does like face damage. So he does close the game in that perspective. But it that stairs can actually turn games around for you. Mm-hmm. Uh with the upside of dealing with landmarks. Now it's not gonna help you against Star Spring, probably. Uh Star Spring. I mean, it could. It's it possible Star Spring hasn't won by then. It destroys all landmarks. It's possible that Star String, especially if you're ramping, if you're ramping, it almost certainly hasn't won by yeah. then. Which this deck you well, probably ramp with. Right. And I think against uh yeah, you probably ramp with it. Um, I, I don't know. Like here's the thing. This is a great in the bubble card. Will it end up being making the cut and other lists? You know, I, I don't know. And I, I can't tell that because it says play. It's not gonna be great with Feel the Rush, it's not gonna be great with the War Mother's Call. So in that perspective, no. Um, but, you know, I have been asking for a card exactly like this, and I would be remiss if I said I wasn't pleased with the design of this card. Uh, I think it's going to be a good card. It's just got to find the right home. Uh, right now, the uh, failure list probably don't need it. Uh, but, you know, I would... I don't want to say I hope that... I don't want to say I would expect that Feel the Rush gets nerfed, but I would hope that it does get a nerf because I just don't like what Feel the Rush does in this game right now. Um, and I think when that happens, it's possible that people come back and, and circle back to this card, uh, which does have an immediate and noticeable impact on the board with the upside of clearing away some of the most problematic uh, types of cards to deal with, which is landmarks. Uh, huge fan. Also, the artwork is dope dope the artwork is incredible um so my thought on this card was and i i I actually agree so if you think about it as an avalanche um it's a four mana eight eight right like if it's a four mana eight eight that for another i mean you get an avalanche and then you get a four mana eight eight basically um because it does the same thing as avalanche for in avalanche's four mana um yep granted eight uh, turn eight avalanche is not nearly as good as it is on turn four that's very obvious um and for very clear reasons um there's going to be sometimes uh, there's going to be a lot of decks that you play this against that you don't even want to play it um because you're like oh like eight mana dove nothing like eight mana eight eight do nothing because they're just going to have a board that's resilient enough that you're not going to care about two damage to everything um i think that's going to happen fairly often against mid-range decks if we're in a strong mid-range meta i don't know that this card's you know if there's not being landmarks played um that being said it does activate behold yeah. it, it is an eight mana frailyard card that will work with behold so if you it, it is a, it is a much 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 better option than the the troll with challenger and regenerate the seven mana or the eight mana seven seven troll with challenger and regen um it is a, i think it's a much better option than that if you ramp to this uh if you ramp early enough to this maybe it's a lot better um uh, I, and I think there are just going to be times in a mid-range meta if Demacia is ever strong again, um, if Freljord's really strong with mid-range, that you're just going to be like, oh, okay. Or when your opponent only has like one creature on the board and they're not playing and they have like a leveled up champion, you really want to get rid of that champion and instead you're playing an 8-mana 8-8. Eight, eight, like if you're splashing for this thing, I think you're just splashing for the 8-mana eight, 8-8 eight, eight dragon yeah, that stuns but- two things at the beginning of turn instead. 
Like, I would well, just com- rather splash with, Tarzan like, and take that. I mean, compare with Riptide Rex. Yes, Rex will get a little damage on the face. Not a lot, but a little. And yes, Rex could, uh, you know, more remove than two something tall. Something. Yeah, he can. He right. does. Uh, he does. But again, I think dealing two damage to everything else is tempting enough that uh, some decks are going to be like, yeah, I don't have anything. I mean, picture like, a you know, you've got a control list that's been healing up this whole game. You know, they've got, you know, a couple cards I want to play. And, and they say, well, what else am I going to spend my mana on? Sure, I, I get I, an avalanche and I, eight eight stats. I think that if there's a if there's a meta where there is a, a pretty large amount of aggressive decks, which we're in right now, um, and there is a strong or borderline strong Shadow Isles Freljord combo, um, which we have right now with Anivia, and you're ramping. I think that this is I think that this is probably goes in that deck. I think this probably goes in that deck in place of some yeah. other things. Um, you might run this in place of ruination, to be honest with you. Maybe not, but you might. You might run this and yeah, ruination. You probably run both. Yeah. yeah you probably run I, maybe one less copy of ruination to run one that stairs. Um, well, and that's a other depending other on where the meta is. Yeah. So I mean, if you're looking at, um, unfortunately, and this is something I'm a little disappointed in with this card. Uh, I really do wish. Uh, I I don't necessarily wish it was on summon. That might be too bonkers. Um, but I, I, I'm a little disappointed not to see more cards that are on summon mm-hmm. to really uh, allow the Vaults of Helia list to take off. Um, this would that be list, really good if this was on summon with Vaults. If this was really on, cool. on summon, I mean, would this? I don't think this would even be busted if it was on summon. There's not a lot of so things. Either. I wish this was on summon and not on play because then Vaults would really have that big, you know, you don't have to run Trendemir. And, and even if you did run Trendemir, like, uh, like there would be an argument. You'd be like, "This might oh, be better." I don't just automatically run Trindamir. This might be better, right? I mean, you have a Nivia into Rekindler into this. Yeah, that's not bad. I you agree. know, um, I, so I, I'm just a little disappointed with that because they they made this really cool landmark, and so far, I've seen nothing that helps it out. So that really means, I mean, we haven't seen an SI card yet. So for all I know, maybe they're gonna we'll hand get me, you know, a great nine drop that does something dope on summon i can hope i I can only hope uh but yeah it doesn't matter if this card ends up seeing play because this is the direction i wanted to see top end creatures move towards i'm really happy to see that yeah that's entirely fair well guys that's going to close up our card discussion we did not talk about like four cards i think but we ran out of time Uh, but what we are going to do is go ahead and jump into some closing thoughts real quick and then we're going to get out of there out of there out of here here and i thought i was already perfect okay guys once again closing thoughts we give just because we hope that if you listen to at this point an hour and 40 minutes of podcast about lor that you become better at life not just legends of runeterra my closing thought this week is really simple you should apologize sometimes i've probably given this one before but it's really important when we mess up it is okay and appropriate and helpful to apologize Uh, and i'm not like tooting my own horn or patting myself on the back this week i messed up i was in a meeting i didn't bite my tongue when i should have bitten my tongue i didn't think about the people in the room before i thought about myself 
And um, and I ended up saying some stuff that I regretted. It wasn't awful things, but it just wasn't great. And it wasn't who I want to be known for. It isn't who I want to be. And so I had to go on to Discord afterwards and, and send some messages out and just apologize to people for um, the way that I acted. And, and once again, it wasn't outlandish, but it was worthy of an apology. And my only thought is this. A lot of relationships you can save and won't be destroyed if you learn how to apologize well. Don't apologize fake. Truly be repentant and learn just how to say sorry for things that you did that didn't go as well as you hoped they would. Sometimes it's appropriate to apologize for things that you feel like weren't entirely your fault, but you can apologize for the part that you played and how it went. Um, it's not a way to be backhanded or to give fake apologies or to get your way still. It's a way to truly repent of what you had done and apologize for things in order to help restore or secure and build relationships. So my closing thought this week is, apologize it's a christmas season man just say you're sorry sometimes it's okay we all make mistakes it's fine you're not going to be your life isn't going to end for being wrong just sometimes it's okay hey be, be sorry and if you're married like i am or you have kids like i do then you're used to being wrong anyway you should be or else you're pretty much unhappy all the time <laughs> yeah i think that the, that's cannot be overstated that um you're, you know, I think that there's this big thing in maybe our culture, but also just, I think people struggle with this sometimes. And I, I used to be this way and I think I still can be this way at times where, um, apologizing becomes this big, like defeatist thing. Mm -hmm. I'm, def I'm, I am by apologizing. I am, I am defeated. I am acknowledging defeat. I'm losing, but that's a matter of perspective. And it's one that I highly discourage you from pursuing. And if you start noticing that mentality of I can't apologize because then uh, I am I am a loser I or not a loser like you're lame. Maybe you are, uh, but I am a loser as in I have lost a battle. Right. Yeah. Um, and the question and is, can't, go, 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 go. you just can't think of it that way, you know, because it is really what is actually losing is you losing those relationships or even yep. even if it's not that extreme you're losing those relationships or you're losing the trust or you're losing the respect. Yeah. Right. That's losing. Yeah. That, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like it, it, in, in these situations, oftentimes you think that you're winning because you end up right and you lose the only thing that you were trying to protect to begin with. Um, because being right didn't really end up benefiting your life at all. And it just ended up losing you or discrediting you or losing respect. Yeah. Or integrity inside of a relationship that it was important for you to maintain. Um, and so always keeping in mind, like, what is the goal is, is the goal that I just never have to feel shame or that I never have to be embarrassed or is the goal that I keep valuable relationships in my life that I want to be part of my life and my character grows and I grow as a person. And if that's the case, then learning how to apologize is central. It's so important. And um, I, the more I look at our culture, the more I realize that people just are really bad at it. They're just really <laughs> bad at being sorry. Um, we're really, really good at justifying our actions, really bad at apologizing for them. And I think there's also just to piggyback one more little thing. I think our culture is also really bad at accepting apology. That's and also true. I I would definitely encourage people um, to just be be more willing to accept an apology, even if you doubt it. Because yeah. the if that person turns around and does that same thing again, um, you know what you 
you can look at it knowing that you gave them the forgiveness, you gave them the second chance. And that is really the more important thing for you as an individual, you know, and I'm not saying you always have to like them or have to continue being around them or anything like that, but especially the smaller things, accepting apology is just as much your job as it is to apologize when you do something wrong, because, um, there is no way that you're going to be able to, you know, heal and repair those relationships if you lord that over them or if you refuse to say hey i appreciate you know the you know you, the person being willing to be humble and contrite about what they did so i i think on both sides it's not just about apologizing when you need to apologize it's it's the flip side of somebody apologizes you you need to do your best and put your best foot forward when it comes to actually helping them turn that apology into a change of character and into, you know, a repaired, you know, building block of relationships so that they can win back your trust, but so that they can also feel that your trust is worth winning back. Mm. Mm. Dang man. EBN, that was good. That was, that oh, was, cool. that was some good stuff. Okay, man, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. Our, our episodes when we're talking about cards are always the long ones. And we, we recorded the mulligan before this. Um, so, uh, DBM, we got to get out of here. If people want to get connected with you, how could they do that? Yeah, just mostly through Discord, guys. But you know what? I bet you when this expansion comes out, do we have – actually, do we have a date? We never said that. Is there a date? Uh, yeah, probably. I, I think it's, like, next Wednesday. I think it's, like, the, the 16th. I think it's the 16th. Well – with uh you know winter breaks and i have a lot of pto coming up i'll probably be doing some decks probably with scar grounds probably with victor and stuff on my youtube channel i'll have some time off so that's probably what i'm going to be doing a bit of um so you can check out my youtube it's uh deadbrook nerd i think there's still some useful lists up there if you want to find some fun stuff some older it's not quite up to date on the meta but there's still some cool playable lists there um and hopefully i'll have some new stuff up it's been a while guys i i would apologize and I know we just talked about apology, but I, it's life. Uh, I really, it's not my own doing. If I could, I'd do it all the time. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, Deadbrook Nerd. But really the best thing is if you have ever have any questions or comments or just ideas, you want to run by me, guys, Discord, I am pretty active in and I love chatting with you guys. So, you know, jump on in there. Absolutely. Best place to connect with me is Discord as well. I'm telling you right now, like we have this episode comes out on the 11th, the next one on the 18th. Um, I don't know where DBN and I are going to be on the 23rd, the two days before Christmas. I know that we have services. Probably not recording. Yeah, probably <laughs> not recording. Like if we get a chance to record something small, like a small Christmas special, we'll try to put something out on Christmas Day for y'all. But you can probably plan like the 18th will be an episode and then you probably won't hear anything from us until the new year. Probably not until like January 8th. Um, definitely not going to come out on January 1st. There's no way. I can't imagine uh, that's no. going to be true. Um, so because we're not going to record on the 30th uh either no that's nope. that's very unrealistic um okay so yeah and the other thing is guys uh, i have not said this in a long time outside of what i do here on the podcast which i really enjoy and i love doing um i uh i work with people a lot and so um if you are going through a hard time or a difficult time especially here kind of at the tail end of 2020 it's been really challenging for people please feel free to reach out to me um i've i've gotten a chance to talk on the phone with people um to pray with people to be there for people to listen to people 
um, from all across the globe through this community. Um, literally, you know, people on the other side in Europe, I've, I've talked with people all across the United States, Canada, um, and just been able to encourage them and care for them and just listen to them. Um, and so if you're just in a tough place right now, maybe you're dealing with some depression, maybe you're dealing with some fear, some anxiety, you just need someone to talk to, um, please reach out to me on Discord. If you don't want to use Discord, you know, shoot us an email at eslegendscast at gmail.com. I'd love to set up a time to just chat with you, whether that's just hanging out in Discord and talking or a phone conversation or something. Um, my heart really has always been um, to be an encourager and a light to a community. Um, and that's what I've done from the beginning. And that that's still my goal. And so if that's you, um, please, please, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to get to know you and love to chat with you. Um, that's going to do it for this episode of Legends Cast. That's episode number 42. We're quickly and swiftly approaching 50 in the new year. We've got to decide what we're going to do for that. If you have any suggestions, feel free to post those in the Discord channel. We'd love to know. And uh, patrons, don't uh, thank you once again. And, and don't forget to post in the patron chat so that we know what to do for the mulligan. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you. And be sure to come back again next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was brought to you by listeners like you. Don't forget to join our Discord community and support us by leaving us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. A special thanks goes out to all of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash legendscast.